Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Georgia's football team probably gets as much media attention as any team in the country, and I mean that. Even though, you know, schools like, say, you know, Clemson and Alabama, you know, have maybe won more national championships more recently, Ohio State seems like a really big program, you're not going to find a program that has more media coverage around it than Georgia, you know, frankly, even, you know, compared to, like, Clemson, you know, what, what happens around the media for Georgia dwarfs some of the coverage that even a recent national champion like Clemson gets. And because there is so much media coverage around Georgia, it's sort of hard to have any storyline be overlooked or it's sort of have hard for any player to kind of be underrated because there's just a lot of rating that goes on, a lot of looking that goes on. There's a constant need to fill content. I mean, I'm on vacation right now and we're still doing shows because that's just kind of the the, the demand that's out there. We want to serve our audience. Media wants to do that. That covers this team. So, so many things get talked about in every different way they can be discussed. And so, therefore, you have a scenario where it's hard for any one player to be overlooked on the Georgia roster because almost all these players, be they first-year players, recruits who just arrived on campus, or, or older players who maybe aren't, aren't even starters, everybody gets examined so closely. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's impossible. And I do think there's an example of a Georgia player right now that might not be getting enough attention that might be worth a closer look as we head towards the start of the upcoming season. I want to try to sell you on this. Think about Georgia defensive secondary for a moment. I think at the start of the calendar year, it was viewed to be one of the biggest issues on this team, and it's still a substantial issue to address given all that Georgia lost off last year's roster. But you go out and get a Darian Kendrick from Clemson. You go out and get a Tyke Smith from West Virginia. You have another transfer defense back that would seemingly be a part of the fold in some form or fashion, although we're not quite sure where things stand with Brandon Turnage, at least at the time that I'm recording this show. Maybe you'll know more about that by the time you finally get a chance to hear it. But the point is, is there's a lot that's been done to address what Georgia has as a needed defensive back. But even if you don't do those things, you don't add Smith, you don't add uh, you know, uh, Darian Kendrick, this was still a defensive secondary that had some talent in place. There are veteran players like Amir Speed who may get their chance to really perform at a high level this year. There are very impressive young, former top recruits like Jalen Kimber and Keely Ringo. A lot of excitement about them. Ringo's, of course, been dealing with a little bit of an injury, but but he's still a guy that has big expectations around him, and, and, and Jalen Kimber does there as well. And because you're talking about this combination of guys who've been here who are like sort of waiting for their chance and transfers who've just arrived and the shiny new thing always gets a lot of attention because you have all that going on it does sometimes suck the life out of the other conversations and takes attention away from where uh you know players who otherwise might be deserving of it let me give you an example of that right now i think there's a very good chance that as we think about the defensive secondary for georgia and guys who have a chance to really contribute this year and be a big part of what goes on I think there's a really good chance we look back from the perspective of what we know during the fall, back on a time like this, kind of dead in the middle of the summer, and we say, wow, 
way back then on shows like Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp, or the pages of DogNation.com or wherever else, there just wasn't enough talk about what George was getting in freshman cornerback Nylon Green. or Let's call him a defense back. Freshman defensive back Nylon Green. There just wasn't enough talk about what he might be able to provide George. Part of it is because we didn't see him play on G Day. Part of because he was, you know, I guess dealing with some medical stuff or whatever else. Uh, part of that, you know, is just because of all the other defensive backs who are generating so much conversation. Whatever the reason is, we may look back on this few months from now and say, "Man, Nylon Green just got kind of got forgotten about for a little while. Just didn't get talked about nearly enough there for a little bit." But if you want to go all the way back to December when Green was getting ready to make his announcement for the University of Georgia, that recruiting win for the Dogs was viewed as a really big deal at the time that it was made. In fact, let me kind of bolster my case that Green isn't being talked enough about right now by going back and giving you a taste of what was being said about him back in December. This Jeff Sintel from what I think was like two, three, four days prior to ultimately Green making his announcement for Georgia, Jeff describing the head-to-head recruiting battle that was going on between the Dogs and Clemson for Green service at the time. Fun walk back down memory lane on this one. We should say that the most likely scenario is no more Mark Webb, no more Richard LeCount, same thing for Tyson Campbell, same thing for Eric Stokes, same thing for DJ Daniel. That's why Nylon Green is really attractive to Georgia and vice versa. He's a guy, great ball skills, big guy. 24-7 Sports has him rated as the number two overall cornerback prospect. Some guys look at him and see star, see safety. Nylon wants to be a cornerback. That's where Georgia and Clemson are recruiting him as a play corner. He'd be a big corner at about six foot three, 195 pounds. Man, I just think he's vital. I think this is one of those things where you have to kind of hunker down a little bit on Nylon Green because that's the school. If he chooses Clemson, everybody's going to go, yeah, Clemson, we get it. Um, even with those departures from Georgia's defensive backfield, so listen, you have Jeff Sintel back in December describing a pretty interesting situation of Georgia and Clemson kind of going to the wall, battling over Green. That's a recruiting battle that Georgia ultimately ends up winning. As far as like where Green finished, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite, number four cornerback in the country, number eight uh, prospect in the state of Georgia, number 71 player overall, that was a big-time recruiting win for UGA. And listen, this has suddenly kind of turned into a pretty crowded defensive secondary. It has between guys who've been here and guys who've just transferred in. And I think you're left to wonder, well, how much room is there really for a guy that just arrived on campus? But this is a guy from Covington, Georgia, you know, Newton High School right there in kind of the shadow of where Eric Stokes also grew up there as well. And, you know, the success that Stokes enjoyed at Georgia was, I think, a big reason why Nylon Green wanted to come to UGA there, too. All I'm saying is just be careful not to overlook him too much. Be careful not to make him part of the conversation because my guess is is that the excitement that existed when Green first made his Georgia pledge back in December and ultimately signed on the dotted line with the dogs, we may be reminded here this fall of why that was such a big deal there at the time. All right, let me shift gears for a moment and do something completely different. And admittedly, this might be just a little bit odd. And maybe I'm reaching just a little bit, but sometimes on a vacation's week's worth of shows, this is kind of the place where your mind goes from time to time. So I, I talked on, I think it was Monday show. But the possibility that, hey, Georgia might have to beat both Clemson twice and Alabama twice 
on its way to a national championship. And I laid out the ways in which that was probably not that far-fetched of an idea that, you know, if Georgia beats Clemson in a close game week one, Clemson runs the table after that, could easily make the playoff. I don't think the committee would shy away from rematching Georgia and Clemson in that situation. I think the committee might think that was even a little bit fun since it had been such a long time since they'd played beginning of the year towards the end of the year. And then it's easy to imagine beating Alabama close in the SEC championship game, seeing Alabama get the benefit of the doubt back in the playoff, matched up with some other team in the other semifinal, only to then emerge and play Georgia in the national championship. Once again, having to beat the same team twice, having to beat the two uh, top teams in college football over the last few years twice in the same year is not a far-fetched possibility. But then you start remembering, you know, Alabama seems like a sure thing in almost any given year, and in most years they are. I mean, they haven't had, uh, I should say it this way, they've only had one season with more than one loss going back to 2015. They were 14-1-15, 14-1 uh, in 2016, 13-1 in 2017, 14-1 in 2018, 13-0 a year ago. They did lose twice in 2019, but that's only one two-loss season in the last one, two, three, four, five, you know, six years. Pretty impressive. But if you want to go back a little farther than that in the Nick Saban era, I think one of the things that you do see that's a little bit interesting, and this is true for all teams and even a coach as great as Saban, he's not been immune to this. For as many national championships as Alabama has won, coming back and defending that national championship in true national champion style has not always been super easy for Saban. And by the way, this even predates his time in Alabama. Go back and look at the LSU situation. 2003 wins the SEC uh, and, and the national championship. The 2004 performance, his last team in LSU, far cry from the national championship level. The Tigers had been the year before that. There was a drop-off. Also at Alabama, first national title comes in 2009. They go 14-0. and Following year, Alabama in 2010 was just 10-3, and three, did not even win the SEC West that year. Uh, you move on, they do win back-to-back -back titles in 11-12, and 12, so that kind of argues against this. But the year after the 2012 National Championship, Alabama in 2013, just 11-2. and two. Once again, did not win the SEC West of that year. Then you can kind of go on and on. Uh, as I said before, they go on kind of a nice run after that. 2018, don't win the National Championship that year. They do go 14-1, and one, though, played for the title. The following year is the two-loss season, which once again led Alabama to miss out on the SEC Championship game. So the point here is this, is that when it comes to defending national champions or being a defending national champion and defending that title the following year, that has not always been an easy thing for Alabama to do. Now, it has been a long time since we've seen Alabama scuffle the way that it did in 2010 or even the way that it kind of stumbled around a little bit there in 2013. Been a while since we've seen them doing that. But I guess anything is a possibility here. So just keep this in mind that when it comes to who you want to see Georgia play in the SEC championship and if Georgia gets there, who it will be playing, it has not always been a guarantee to etch Alabama's name there in stone. Of the last four SEC championships, I've told you this before, they've only played in two of those last four, that that sometimes the Crimson Tide not always quite the sure thing you think it is. So we'll see how that plays out later on this fall. Maybe a little bit of faint hope for UGA fans or maybe just a reach by BA. You can decide for yourself on that one. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharbang. Glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video 
normally live. It's pre-recorded, but we're still in the spirit of having done it live. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Looking forward to being back on the radio again when my vacation is over next week here on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, of course, and always on the podcast platforms. Just really, really thankful to have you as a big part of the show. And a huge thanks to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp, making it all possible there as well. They are your source for Georgia divorce. And listen, sometimes the summertime can kind of conjure up some bad feelings and maybe, you know, you're traveling, things like that. And you just kind of realize that, boy, my current relationship, that it just may not be salvageable. You may, you know, frayed bonds and everybody understands all that just sometimes it's a it's a thing that happens you know you've worked through it you've tried to you know rebuild it you've tried to you know kind of recreate the magic but it's just not working if that's the case then first of all i I tell you that i'm sorry but i also would tell you that if you're moving forward with a divorce process if that's something that you've decided you're going to do then you do want a strong advocate on your side and someone whose strength comes from their knowledge knowledge of the intricacies of the law as it impacts you in georgia when it comes to divorce and the ways that just affects your finances and your and your relationship with your children and everything else that goes along with that that's what mary wonder and tharp is your source for georgia divorce you can find them online the atlanta team.com at the website it's free resources it's blog posts it's a podcast it's all different ways that you can educate yourself about what divorce actually means for you specifically and then when you have that initial consultation with one of the Meriwether and Tharp lawyers, you'll have better questions to ask. It'll be a better conversation starter. And then after that, you can make the decision to put them to work for you. So find them online, theatlantadivorceteam.com. That's theatlantadivorceteam.com. That'll get you in touch with Meriwether and Tharp. All right, it's Mike Griffith coming up in a moment. We're going to talk more to him about our season preview that's been ongoing here this week. Deep look today, Georgia running backs, Georgia wide receivers. We will do that coming up in just a moment. Before that, though, I do want to, very sh- I want to do a very short version of around the doghouse here today and I want to focus in on Georgia defense corner Dan Lanning for a moment because one of the things I was thinking about in light of what we said yesterday if you look at those top ranked defensive lines of the upcoming year Lindy's had Georgia at fifth Oklahoma at fourth it is a reminder that last year the Sooners actually played pretty good defense and as you might imagine Alex Grinch the defensive coordinator for, for Oklahoma gets some of the credit for that and if you want to know one of the reasons why that Oklahoma shows up as a playoff contender again and commonly mentioned top three top four in the country and all these little preseason polls that come out this time of year it's not just Spencer Rattler and Lincoln Riley and the Sooners offense there's more talk about defense at Oklahoma right now than probably any time we've seen in a long time certainly since the days of Bob Stoops as the head coach there that you have to go back and see that but what this has to do with Lanning is is that it seems like if you kind of view Lanning as one of the top defensive coordinators in college football I think you should then some of his competition in that regard right now is probably Grinch. That's a guy whose reputation is really growing. And then beyond that, you know, think about when Lanning's name emerged as um, a candidate for the Kansas head coaching job. Land, you know, Lanning having some geographic ties to that area, having grown up in Kansas City, he was, you know, he was close to that area. It's why he kind of showed up as a candidate there. Also, kind of a young defensive coaching name on the rise. Another reason why he shows up there in that regard. Well, who's the other name that shows up alongside him in a situation like that? It's Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. 
My point here is this, and I've said this over and over again, that I think one of the most important storylines for Georgia this year was its ability to retain Dan Lanning as defensive coordinator, preventing him from taking the can the, the, the Texas job. He, he gave you the run it back tweet that he was coming back to Georgia again, not taking the Texas job, not taking Texas money, want to be back here in Athens, and then ends up not becoming Kansas head coach there as well. That was a big offseason move for UGA, the kind of thing that you were really glad uh, to be able to see. Well, now the question becomes, okay, so what happens this year in terms of Lanning's reputation as a defensive coordinator? And I do think it's interesting in comparison to the, the other two names I just mentioned right there. Your battle for, and we'll put guys like, you know, like say Brent Venables and guys like that out of this discussion, guys who've been here for a long time. You know, Venables at, at this point in time is kind of a known commodity he's established. Of the up-and-coming names, the kind of young names on the rise here in college football, I mean, that's kind of what it is. It's sort of a Grinch at Oklahoma, Lanning at Georgia, Elko at, at Texas A&M. After this year is done, one of those guys probably emerges as your top young defensive mind in the sport. And maybe that puts Lanning on the fast track to becoming a head coach, but that may be the direction this is all going anyway. But watch that battle this year between the Lannings and the Grinches and the Elkos and those defensive coordinators that seem to get a lot of attention to see who is it that truly emerges as the, the kind of the top name in that regard? And I would certainly say that Dan Lanning's a pretty good bet when it comes to all that. All right, that's Around the Doghouse. Very quick before I bring on our buddy Mike Griffith, let me also talk about my friends at the Finish Long Drink here just for a moment. You know, this is ready to drink right out of the can. Listen, when you're on vacation like me, that's a really good thing to be able to have because there's no mixing. There's no, you know, it's just ready to drink. There's, it's not hard work. You just pop the top in the can, you're, you're drinking. And if you're watching a video, you see all the options. The cranberry the long drink strong the long drink zero i like the original it comes in a blue can it's got some great grapefruit flavor to it it's got that nice liquor kick to it there as well this has been popular in uh, finland going back to like say the 1950s and it's been in the united states of america now for a couple years there as well and it's in the state of georgia right now popular in the bars in athens a lot of in the atlanta area have uh, shown me photos of you enjoying the finished long drink there as well and if you're looking to get in on the fun then check out this website it's the longdrink.com that's the longdrink.com and that'll let you know where you can find it and you can be off and running after that enjoying yourself some finished long drink here this summer i think you'll like it as much as i do because it's been a great part of my spring and summer thus far all right before we're done really good fun continued look at some of these anonymous coaches what they're saying about these teams around the sec it's good gossip but it's also good insight into what the league has to offer here for this year so we'll do that as a part of our sec through here in just a moment but for now more of our buddy mike griffith on what to expect from the dogs this fall. Good to have you with us here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. I'm not quite so sure who decided this was fair, but a vacation week for me means extra work for Mike Griffith, who joins us for a second consecutive day here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. But we're actually very thankful to have his time here we've been doing kind of a season preview look ahead to the georgia bulldogs here and mike gave us some great stuff on the georgia quarterbacks yesterday so here on this thursday it's nice to kind of talk about some of those other offensive positions today we'll look at running backs here we'll look at wide receivers so mike i appreciate your time as we do that let me start at running back you've obviously been pretty outspoken about the georgia running back situation but you know we're kind of out of that sort of speculation mode now and we're kind of moving towards the 
you know, we got SEC media days coming up, summer practices beginning officially. Then after that, the season will really be here before you know it. I mean, how do you expect to see this running back situation for Georgia shake out on the field this fall? A lot of names and a lot of guys looking for touches. Yeah, I, I think it would be hard not to start Samir White. You know, he came back for his senior year. Uh, something tells me that he was probably told he would be the starter, and, and he is the, you know, the most experienced guy. And you know, we talked yesterday a little bit about the, you know, the need to protect JT Daniels, and with Clemson's defensive front, uh, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a game to be taking chances uh, with your quarterback. And Samir's pass blocking is is one of his strengths. So I think that'll be key, and I think his experience, his big game experience, I think he certainly has the opportunity coming out of the gate to, to make a statement uh, as the number one running back and, and uh, you know, get hot, right, and, and show his abilities. Uh, this is a guy that's a few years removed now from uh, two knee surgeries. Uh, I think we've seen him improve each game. It looks like he gets a little bit more comfortable. Um, and so it'll be really interesting to see how he fares against Clemson because I do think we're going to see him a lot. In the opener, you know, I think the most optimistic appraisal for Zamir is, and I'm certainly not saying he's going to have a Nick Chubb-like season, but there's no doubt that that Chubb's numbers in his senior year from 2017 were greatly improved from his junior season in 2016, where he's still over 1,000 yards. Uh, I think it's 1,100-something yards as a, as, a, as a junior in 2016, but just clearly a more effective runner for George in 2017 than sometimes a, a healthier senior can make you know, for a better running back overall. In the case of Sonny Michel, you know, his, his numbers kind of improved too for Georgia that year. They played behind a better offensive line, and that was probably a big part of that. But you know, the idea that White could be better as a senior than he was as a junior – I mean, I think there is some reason based on recent precedent to say, hey, you know, maybe that's true. Even if he's not quite what Chubb was or Michelle was in 2017, you know, better in his final final year. You know, we have seen some precedent for that in recent years there at Georgia. I absolutely expect it. Not just because of Zamir's hard work and evolution as a running back, but I think this offense really sets up the running backs well. Um, this is going to be more of a pass-first attack at the line of scrimmage. This is going to be an offense that's going to spread the field. And, you know, Brandon, I just can't imagine. I just can't imagine teams stacking the box with J.T. Right. Daniels at the line of scrimmage and some of the receivers that Georgia has to throw to. So if you're running against five- and six-man boxes, I think that really plays uh, to your advantage as a running back. So I expect Zamir White to have a couple of longer runs this season and average more yards per carry. I think the point you make there is an excellent one that we're in kind of a modern age now where pass seems to set up the run and it could be easier for all of Georgia's running backs if the offense hums along as effectively as, as as I think it can this year and as I believe that you think it probably can there as well you start getting to some of the other names here you know frankly I don't quite know what to expect from James Cook you know he could be a great running back for Georgia this year or he could essentially be a wide receiver like you know I feel like the range of possibilities that exist for him is is pretty wide right now I don't think there's any doubt that that Kendall Milton is kind of emerging as the fan favorite here. Probably get more comments about Milton than other players this position, at least it seems like, based on what I see on social media and our Facebook, YouTube comment sections, things like that. I think Kenny McIntosh is a really interesting prospect. We didn't see much of him in the spring because he was injured, but when he has played, I mean, I'll, I've said this a million times, Mike, 
McIntosh is way more athletic as a player at Georgia than I assumed he would be when he was coming out of high school. I just had him pegged wrong coming out of high school. He's 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 a pretty dynamic athlete, whereas I, I probably saw him as something a little different than that coming out of high school. And the fact of the matter is, the same thing may also be true of Dejan Edwards, who also you know played better last year as a freshman than I maybe kind of assumed he would right out of the gate. So. If you say Zamir, because of the seniority, has the idea of being one of those pillar running backs for Georgia this year, how do you handicap the race for the other guys there? Yeah, you know, it's a game-by-game situation. And, and I know that sounds like sitting on the fence, but I think it's true. Uh, you know, I think, you know, they're going to game plan for every defense. And, you know, like I was saying, against Clemson with that defensive front, you, you absolutely need a veteran back back there that's capable of, you know, taking on that, that defensive end who's coming at you with a head of steam or that linebacker or that, that's coming on the delayed blitz or or that uh, D-tackle that, you know, loops inside the nose and, and somehow, you know, slips a young offensive guard and, and takes aim at your quarterback. So, you know, in that particular instance, you know, that, that would favor Zamir. You know, you get into the you know weaker part of your schedule, maybe you want to play the younger guys more. You know, maybe you want to get McIntosh some, some snaps. You talked about his versatility and, and, and I wouldn't bemoan missing on him. A lot of people did. You know, a lot of people weren't aware that, you know, when he ran at the camp and, and ran a high 40 time, it was with a, a slightly pulled hamstring and didn't really have the benefit of an all-star game and played some pretty uh, intense competition in South Florida. So I think a lot of people uh, have been surprised by Kenny McIntosh's emergence and certainly uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats bemoaned it as, uh, you know, Kenny was really the key down the stretch there, catching three passes on that game-winning drive. So, uh, you know, I look at it, you bring up James Cook, and I think your analysis is really good. Uh, he's been really hot and cold. And, and honestly, I just don't know, you know, from the standpoint of running the football, I don't know what you're going to get from him. As a receiver, I think he's excellent. You know, uh, clearly probably the best receiving threat out of the backfield. Uh, he's a guy who regularly would take snaps in the slot at times in practice. So he, he is receiver ready. He is kind of a slash player. Uh, I like that weapon. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Kenyon Drake at Alabama back in the day, six or seven, five, four, five, six years ago. They had Kenyon Drake. Um, I, I don't like Cook as a runner, though. I just don't know what you're getting between the tackles. He doesn't seem real durable. I've seen him go down too easily. Uh, I just don't feel like he's an every down back. I think he's a third down back, and that's going to be his role. And, and a really good one, by the way. But, but I, I, I'm not ready to put him in the same breath with Alvin Kamara whatsoever. Let me talk wider. Hey, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Huh? Go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, pick it up. Yeah, I was going to say Kenny McIntosh is, is a little more versatile now. I like Kenny as a runner. I like Kenny as a receiver. Um, he runs good routes. He's got really good hands. I think he also has excellent vision. Uh, I think he's got good speed and good quickness. Um, you know, to me, uh, you know, if you're asking me, my, the running backs, him and Milton 1A and 1B are the most gifted runners. Uh, but again, you know, we talk about Zamir's ability to pass protect, and that's that is that's not something that we should take lightly. So, uh, but but getting to Kendall Milton, if you were going to ask me which running back in the backfield that if I had to bet would be carrying the football in the NFL as a starter in five years, it would be Kendall Milton. And I think Kenny Kenny McIntosh will be somewhere in the mix there if he can stay healthy. Um, but I, I'm not sure. You know, I, I, those two would be of the five would be the most likely to be in the NFL in five years. Uh, Dejon Edwards is interesting. Uh, he's a tough runner. He's a durable runner. Uh, this is a guy that I think will continue to emerge. Um, you know, when I interviewed Monty Rice in our exit interview uh, or on, on the On the Beach show to earlier this offseason, Monty said that uh, H. Edwards was a guy to watch for. Uh, a lot of lower body strength, a lot of power, 
maybe he ultimately becomes your short yardage back, right? You know, Demir's had some issues with that. Uh, but I like what Dejon Ed, I like that he's still in the program. You know, in this day of one-time transfer, uh, you know, half of me expected Dejon Edwards to transfer out when Zemir White came back. You know, you don't think this guy would help Florida State or Central Florida, Central Florida or, or, or another program. So, you know, to me, that you know, do what you got to do to keep Dejon Edwards because after this season, you lose Zemir, you lose James, and you might lose Kenny. Um, so I, I think Dejon Edwards is definitely a guy uh, that you got to keep in the mix somehow. And uh, I think he's got a lot of upside. What I saw from him looks really good so far. But uh, of all the groups, uh, you know, when it's money time, when we're talking about the college football playoffs, I, I think Kendall Milton at that stage and Kenny McIntosh, uh, you know, and, and Cook as a receiver, uh, I think especially Kendall, though, I, I think Kendall Milton's got some 100-yard games in his future this season later down the road. Let me shift gears in the time we have remaining. I do want to talk wide receivers here for a moment. And, I mean, the fact of the matter is the very best teams in the country have had such impressive wide receiver play that it, it really can't be overstated how challenging it is for Georgia to match what you know Bama did last year, LSU did the year before that, what Clemson has kind of consistently done, although I guess the overall numbers not quite as good as what the uh, last two SEC teams have, have kind of looked like. Ohio State's had big-time wide receiver play. You know, not an easy thing for Georgia to do to match that, and the George Pickens injury makes it even worse, so or even more difficult. So it's fair to mention that. But the other thing, Mike, I have to say about the Georgia wide receiver situation is, if you want to go back to look at you know when Kirby Smart first took this program over in 2016, and kind of even in the the playoff year of 2017, and kind of what has sort of happened since then. I mean, the way in which the talent level of this receiver room has been upgraded, I think Georgia deserves a lot of credit for that. It remains to be seen how closely it comes to to matching you know, what the very best teams in the country do. But there's no doubt from a talent perspective, they've taken a big stride forward. And now when you had a guy like Rick Gilbert in that discussion, that's even maybe even more true there now as well. So that's kind of my overarching feeling of what Georgia has at wide receiver. What do you think about that position group? Yeah, I would agree with you. You know, I think they've definitely upgraded it. Uh, certainly, they made it a point of emphasis in recruiting. Um, you know, you, you put Georgia in the Big Ten of the ACC in the Big 12, and, and, you know, I think you could see impressive numbers uh, along the lines of Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma. But but the fact is, they're in the SEC, and it's a tough road to hoe. Uh, Auburn is your annual opponent from the West, and certainly no pushover. Uh, and, you know, last year they had a regular season game against Alabama. So that's a pretty tough slate when you play Alabama and Auburn. Uh, from the West, right, in, in Florida, in the state of Florida every year. So, um, you know, that, that's part of playing in the league. Uh, no, I don't think the receivers are on par with LSU's or Alabama's, and there's no shame in that uh, because those were historically good groups of, you know, multiple first-round draft picks. Uh, now, that's not to say that, that some of these players couldn't evolve into first-round picks. Certainly, uh, Eric Gilbert has that potential. Uh, we know that George Pickens is certainly a first-round talent. Um, Kyrus Jackson may not be a first-round talent, but I do consider him an NFL player. Uh, same with Jermaine Burton. Um, Dominic Blaylock was on his way to that. We don't really know. He's a bit of a mystery player for me uh, when we try to figure out where's Dominic Blaylock going to fit into this mix. Uh, Demetrius Robertson, uh, you know, kind of a borderline guy. I'm not sure if he's going to be in the NFL or the Arena League. And he's got a lot of speed, but not much of a catch radius. Um, I wouldn't say he's been a disappointment, but I wouldn't say that he's excelled as much as Everyone expected he might help the team in the return game a little bit. Justin Robinson, a guy that's coming on, a big-bodied guy, can get up and make catches. Needs to be more consistent. Been a little banged up and had a share of injuries. Um, so you know, and, and then Mitchell, right? Mitchell comes on the freshman, um, flashed in the G Day game. 
uh, you know, a lot of wiggle and explosiveness. Uh, he's got progress to make, but for an incoming freshman, you know, that's somebody to be excited about. You know, Brandon, and, you know, there's a time we probably, you know, wouldn't feel like we needed to ramble on at tight end, but I just feel like that's going to be such a threat yeah. um, this season. I just I look at uh, a big uh, Darnell Washington, and uh, I just I, I think the, the world of him. I just I just think he's unbelievable, and uh, you just don't see many six seven two eighty guys that's got hands uh, like he has. I, I think he's an incredible uh, red zone threat. I think he's a matchup nightmare. John Fitzpatrick's been working hard. He's another tall guy, lanky guy, good hands, consistent assignment sound. And, and we heard Kirby Smart talk a lot about Brock Bowers. Uh, you know, the unicorn from Northern California, since I likes to call these guys unicorns. You know, you're not supposed to have a 40-inch vertical leap, uh, Brock Bowers, and, and yet he does. And a guy that, you know, someone's compared him to George Kittle in terms of how he runs team routes and gets downfield. So uh, a lot of talent there, a lot of options, uh, and a lot of excitement. Yeah, Mike, I think you're right, and I think you're especially right about the fact that the tight end position being, whether, you know, whoever lines up there, just being more a part of the passing attack for Georgia this year, I could certainly see that. I appreciate your insight over the course of the last couple of days. You certainly made these vacation shows entertaining for our audience, made things nice for me there as well. Mike, I hope you're enjoying your week, and uh, we'll look forward to speaking to you in our normal live venue next Wednesday here in the program. But thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp here today. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, time for our SEC Through here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And this is going to be good. we got more anonymous coach quotes coming up, including one of Georgia's biggest rivals in the SEC. Pretty significant doubt about brand-new coaching hire. This is actually really good stuff. We'll get to that coming up in just a moment. Let me also give a shout-out to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia here as well. Foundation waterproofing issues. Engineered Solutions of Georgia knows how to handle that for you. They have two full-time engineers on staff, really smart people. That's a good thing. They're also proud partners of UGA, longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily and a solutions-based company that will give you a simple fix if that's all your issue is. But if it's something bigger than that, they're going to do good work for you there as well. And the great news is their phone number, very easy to remember. You can get in touch with them today. Simply give them a call, 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. So if you've missed some of our shows this week for our SEC through while I'm away and on vacation, one of the things that we're doing is we're taking some of the anonymous coach quotes, you know, the Athlon Sports SEC Preview Magazine has a section for each SEC team where they quote some coaches who don't have to give their name and so therefore seemingly give more candid comments. And I think it's just a really interesting thing. We can't give all those comments because it's longer than we have time to read on the show. And plus, I think you should buy the magazine, read the whole thing for yourself. I don't, that's not an advertisement. I just think it's a fun magazine. It's a, I think it's good to support those who've supported college football for a long time. But you do, by reading like a sentence or two, get some real insight into kind of where things stand with certain teams around the SEC. In fact, let me show you this for the Auburn Tigers, anonymous coach quoted by Athlon, looking at the start of the Brian Harson regime. And this is very, very strong language, but it's, I think, a pretty good look at where things may be with Auburn right now. This coach asking about Brian Harson, he says, does he have a clue about recruiting? That's the single biggest question right now in the league. Not the single biggest question facing Auburn, but this coach says the single biggest question facing the league is, is Brian Harson ready to recruit for Auburn? The coach goes on to say that Gus Malzahn isn't out because Auburn fell behind Alabama. It's because they fell behind Clemson and Georgia and Florida. 
Is a guy from Boise going to fix that? And listen, that's more than just a hot take. I think that's actually a very fair and valid question. That if you really look at what has happened to the SEC's recruiting rankings in the last couple of years, Auburn has dropped like a stone. It was not you know, all that long ago that you would have expected to see Auburn near the top, competing for the very best players in the region, and consistently they, for the most part, did that. Didn't always win those battles, but they won their share of them, and they won enough to kind of keep Auburn in the upper tier of the more talented teams in the SEC. But there's been some erosion there in that regard, and that you would blame Malzahn for some of that, but that's kind of in the past. Now it's about how do you fix it going forward. And I think the, the question about Harson being from Boise, is he capable of doing that, is a fair one. Some of his early statements related to this, you know, I've said before that you've got to be more than just a competent coach. Harson's proven himself to be competent. He's won plenty of games there in the uh, Mountain West League where he came from. But you've got to have a little bit of shtick down here in the SEC, kind of a gimmick. You've got to have some of that. And I don't think that Harson's fully identified himself to SEC fans, to to the prospective future players in this league. You've got to you've got to brand yourself somehow. I think Harson to this point in time has not really been able to do that. Maybe he can do that on the field here this fall. Speaking of Auburn, though, I think there's a thought about Auburn that bleeds into the leftover conversation about another team in the SEC. Once again, I'll turn to Athlon Sports for an anonymous coach quote here. It's about South Carolina, but if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of also make this about Auburn just a little bit. This anonymous coach going back and looking at what happened for the Gamecocks a year ago. This coach being quoted by Athlon as saying that when it comes to South Carolina, you could see some stuff that Mike Bobo brought in last year's offensive coordinator using fullbacks and tight ends that maybe this was going to be the right OC for Will Muschamp. It was just too late, this anonymous coach says, and obviously Muschamp ended up getting fired. The The suggestion here is that had you know Bobo come to Muschamp at South Carolina at a different time, maybe he could have helped save things and maybe Bobo could have helped Muschamp salvage his job there. I guess my one issue with that is that the Gamecock offense, for the most part last year, kind of scuffled and sputtered along a little bit. And if you were going to use your, you know, opinion of what Bobo did during his time at South Carolina's offensive coordinator to determine if he was going to be successful at Auburn, would you be left to assume that there was much that um, that that Bobo was going to be able to do at Auburn based on what you saw him doing there at South Carolina? Now, listen, I've been a Mike Bobo fan, and I, I think I continue to be. But I think based on the way that Bobo performed a year ago you know, in Columbia with the Gamecocks, I think he's kind of got something to prove here a little bit this year. My guess is a guy who has, you heard the anonymous coach a moment ago mention fullbacks, tight ends, things like that. I think at this stage of Bobo's career, he's probably become a little bit of a conservative offensive coordinator. My guess is they'll lean on Tank Bigsby heavily on the planes here this year. They probably should. But I, identifying yourself, establishing some sort of offensive identity, I think it's going to be important for Bobo there at Auburn. The anonymous coach may be right. If Bobo could have come to South Carolina sooner, maybe he could have helped Muschamp and maybe Muschamp still employed. But just based on what we saw a year ago, I don't know that you're left to conclude that Bobo's chances of success at Auburn are necessarily all that high. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong about that. One more here real quick, and we'll make this very quick. How about Mississippi State? Anonymous coach quote here from Athlon about the uh, Bulldogs. Uh, this coach says the biggest thing that happened to them, good and bad, was the LSU game. That was the beginning of the season. Mississippi State pulls a big upset. But this coach says after that game, everyone figured it out. 
just don't play man when it comes to that Mississippi State offense. And if you follow like gambling people and uh, you know analytics types, there's a pretty big belief out there that Mississippi State, led by Mike Leach, could be in for kind of a year two bump. A lot of you know because I've said this pretty clearly a year ago. I'm not a fan of Leach as a coach. I don't believe he's the right fit for the SEC. I do think it'll be interesting to see though when it comes to this year whether Leach, because he is such a you know brilliant offensive mind, if he really can have some year two success, or as this coach suggests a year ago, that once the big game against LSU happened, the rest of the league pretty quickly caught up and figured out what Leach was trying to do. That'll be a fun chess match between coaches to watch later on this fall. We'll make that your SEC through. And I don't know about you, but I sort of feel like our vacation week of shows here going pretty well right now. We're kind of rolling through and having a good time doing all this, and I'm glad to be able to do all of that with you. So, yeah, keep watching, keep listening, podcast, you know, everything else. We're back on the radio again, I think, next week. I'm looking forward to being able to do that. And my sincere thanks to all of you for making this possible. You know, it's such a nice luxury to be able to be away for a few days. My family needs it. I need it. I like recharging my batteries around this time of year. So the fact that you would let me do this, I certainly appreciate that. The fact that you would continue to watch and listen and support us, uh, even though the show's not being recorded live each and every day, I'm very thankful for that there, there as well. So as we get ready to say goodbye to you today, I'll remind you we'll be back doing Golden Shoe again on Monday. For now, I do have a Gatorhead countdown for you. Nice number today, 135 days from right now. Dogs beat up on Florida. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And on both podcast and video, we are doing the R.S. Andrews Cooldown right now, and we'll take your comments. A lot of folks have been good enough to share some of these with me prior to me leaving to go on vacation, so we're able to do a form of the of the cooldown here today. I think that's kind of a nice addition to our vacation shows for this year. I've enjoyed being able to do that, so we'll read a few of those comments here today. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews as well for making it all possible. They'll do air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric work for you this time of year. Of course, you're thinking about the air conditioning unit. That tired system, that's you're pretty sure it's on its last leg, get it tuned up back to factory fresh specs. It's just $99, and it'll keep you cool all summer long. So check them out online at rsandrews.com for more on that. All right, a couple of comments here today. Uh, I solicited some questions, and Yale Dog, in pretty typical form, this has kind of become a little bit of an ongoing joke amongst UGA fans. I said, hey, can I have some questions to do for the cool down? And Yale Dog wrote back, what's wrong with Georgia recruiting? And listen, there is... As I said before, that's been kind of an ongoing joke for George. It started before the 2018 class. So this would have been summer of 2017. That was the that was the beginning of the what's wrong with UGA recruiting. And I got to tell you something. I mean, and I don't know if this is something to be ashamed of or be proud of or whatever else. But um, on Dog Nation Daily in that summer of 2017, I was definitely – doing the what's wrong with UGA recruiting talk. I mean, that was a big thing for us that summer. And it seems foolish now, but here's the thing you got to understand. This is summer of 2017, ahead of the 2018 recruiting cycle. This was Georgia having gone 8-5 and five on the field the previous year, signed the number three class in the country, which, well, you should have known Georgia was in the recruiting business. But, but this is what's different about that is that it was very easy back then to look at that 2017 class and the guys that George had signed and point to early playing time, early playing time, early playing time. There was this fear of, well, gosh, Georgia may have less early playing time to sell. They had not yet had the big breakthrough season on the field. Um, and that, that had not occurred yet. 
And it was very easy to say, oh, gosh. I mean, Georgia spent most of that summer ranked in like the 70s, in like 78, whatever, in recruiting. And you can laugh at that now. But this was not a Georgia team at the time that had quite the track record that it does at this moment. But then you get the Zamir White commitment, and then you get you know everything else that kind of happened that summer. And obviously Georgia goes on to win the SEC, and makes the college football playoff, and Georgia for the class of 2018 has the number one recruiting class. And since then, the what's wrong with UGA recruiting has been a big kind of joke amongst UGA fans. It was not, I would say, as much of a joke back in uh, the summer of 2017 when these kind of memes first started popping up there a, a bit, but it turned out that things were just fine. And obviously, in light of what happened for Georgia last week before I went on vacation, I think it's a lot easier to kind of keep all this in perspective now and assume that Georgia will still be eventually fine. But it's kind of nice to see the what's wrong with UGA recruiting return here for another summer. seems like that's been around here for a while. Uh, Lifelong Dog says, who gets more carries this season? Is it Kendall Milton or is it Zamir White? I would say, obviously, based on what you think you know now, it's probably Zamir White. I would also add to that that what we think we know now about the running back position can change frequently. Here's the problem. I don't mean to be a wet blanket, but y'all know this is true. Running back is a position where guys get hurt. There are injuries. And so it's kind of amazing how sometimes you look at a situation and say, oh, there's too many Georgia running backs. Too many running backs to keep everybody healthy. Too many running backs to give everybody as many carries as they want or need. And the honest truth is, in football, this kind of thing has a way of taking care of itself. Now, is it possible that Milton, because he's such an impressive prospect, outperforms Amir White and on the basis of both of them being healthy, simply surpasses him as a player? That's a possibility. But it's also a possibility that there'll never be an opportunity to make that comparison because one of the two could be banged up. And I don't say that to be negative. I'm just, it's like, you know, it's like the old joke about you should be positive. I am positive. I'm positive that somebody might get hurt. Um, So it's just one of those things that if you ask me to make my best guess based on where things stand right now, my best guess would be that Zamir would get more carries than Kendall Milton. Milton could surpass me even if they're both healthy. But what's more likely is between White and Cook and Kendall and McIntosh and Dejon Edwards, enough stuff could happen over the course of a long season that over the course of that full year, especially if it's a 15-game season, that you may eventually be glad you've got all five of them. Matt MD says, says, looking way ahead, let's say Georgia gets it done in the regular season, reaches the college football playoff this year. Which out-of-conference non-Bama team could give the dogs the biggest hurdle? This is a great question. Uh, in the national championship. Is it Ohio State? Is it Oklahoma? Is it Clemson round two? That is a really good question. And I think, listen, if you were asked to beat Clemson for a second consecutive time, something we talked about earlier in the show this week, that would be really hard to do. I think you're on it as far as who those teams would be, though. Ohio State, I am still not quite sure what the Buckeyes bring to the table at the quarterback position, but it's the overall level of talent they enjoy that makes them really tough to beat. You know, consistently, Ohio State remains one of the best teams in the country because they just out-recruit almost everybody. And, you know, I think there's a lot of skepticism about, you know, George from Georgia fans about some of the stuff in the Big Ten, and I get some of that. In the case of the Buckeyes, that's a pretty tough team. They beat up on Clemson pretty good last year in the playoff. Now, that's Justin Fields. He's not there anymore, and as I said before, I'm still not quite so sure of the Buckeyes at quarterback right now. But, you know, I would probably go Clemson rematch number one. I might say Oklahoma second on that just because, as we said a little earlier in today's show, there is this thought that the Sooners may be better defensively. But I think a Clemson rematch would be number one. I think uh, 
an Oklahoma situation might be slightly tougher because I think there's more of a known commodity there at quarterback and also the receiver position is just really good. And then Ohio State shortly behind that. And then beyond that, I don't think I'd have, from a Georgia fan perspective, a ton of fear about anybody else beyond those three. I think you've zeroed on on the ones that kind of matter the most. So good comments. Thank you for being here. A part of our R.S. Andrews Cooldown. Check out R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com. They'll show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised for the price that's promised. And we'll try to do the same thing for you there as well. Of course, our price is free, but we'll be back here on time again tomorrow for more Georgia football talks. If it's a podcast, listen wherever you feel like it. On video, we'll start it live at 10 a.m. One more final vacation show tomorrow. I think you'll think it's a good one. We'll do it then. Thanks for being here. Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We'll see you on video 10 a.m. tomorrow.